Today's review by SD Sarah, titled Life Changing. I love this podcast. I get so excited for new ones, but always have my favorites that I continue to replay. Great job, Shaleen. Thank you so much for leaving a written review or sending us a voice message. Shaleen loves them so much that she has decided that if we pick one of your written reviews or your voice messages and play them on one of her episodes, you will automatically be placed into a drawing where you will have the chance to win a free ticket to one of our live events and to meet Shaleen. So go to your favorite podcast app and leave us a written review or go to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash podcast and leave us a voice message. Good luck and hope to see you at one of our next events. Hey there, thanks so much for joining me today on The Shaleen Show. As you know, we like to talk about a lot of different subjects, everything related to life. And there's so many different seasons in life. So today we're going to talk about the season of parenting, specifically parenting teenagers. Now, if you don't have a teenager, this is still going to be interesting to you. And if you don't have kids, it might be interesting to hear like my version of what it was like to be a teenager and then parenting teens and comparing it to your own. And I'd love to have you weigh in. I'd love to hear your opinion, your suggestions. You can share those with us by joining the pod squad. It's a free Facebook group. Just go to Facebook. In fact, just go below on my show notes and you'll see I put a little link there so you can join our little discussion group on Facebook. But that's what we're talking about today on The Shalene Show. Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. I'll never forget when Sierra was a little baby. She was in a stroller. We were at the airport and this older woman came over to me and she said, oh, you're so lucky to have a daughter. And I said, thank you. And she said to me, the toughest year of any woman's life is when she's 13 and then when your daughter's 13. I froze. I didn't know what to say. My eyes got as big as saucers and I swallowed really hard because I believed what she said. I knew what I was like as a 13-year-old girl and it wasn't really until she said those words and I was holding on to the handles of a stroller with my baby daughter in it. It wasn't until she said those words that I realized what a like horrible 13-year-old I had been and that I might just get my payback. And I literally was terrified of Sierra becoming a teenager just based on that one conversation in an airport with a stranger. Because I knew I was just a nightmare for my poor mother. So I was always afraid. Like, what is it going to be like? Am I going to get my payback when Sierra's 13? Well, I'm happy to say she was a dream child compared to what I was like at 13. In fact, I've always kind of used myself as an example when my girlfriends want to ask me questions or they're concerned about something their daughters are doing. And it's not because I'm like a parenting expert or anything. Brett and I happen to have our children first. So we were usually going through things like a year or two or three or sometimes even 10 years before our friends did. So, you know, it's kind of fun when they would call and say, like, what do I do? I would always use myself as a point of reference and say, let me just tell you how I was at that age. And the way that I was was not a reflection on my parents. Like some of it just was me. You know, my sister wasn't as unruly. My sister didn't try to get away with as much. I mean, I was like a ninja devil child. 
did a lot of things I'm not even going to mention on this podcast in case your kids are listening. You just don't even need to hear it. But I always try to remind my girlfriends, like, it's not that bad. And no matter what is going on, she or he is still a good person. You're going to get them through this. Just like stay the course and they're going to come out okay. And sometimes these rebellious, you know, pushing of limits and nonconformity, sometimes these things are just a sign of creative genius. Sometimes it's just a sign of kids who are trying to figure out who they are. So like, just put it all in perspective. Having said that today, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to answer your questions that you've asked of me on Instagram about raising teenagers. And I certainly hope it goes without saying that I am not a parenting expert. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I also don't know what the whole story is. I'm getting a couple of sentences from someone who I've never met. I don't know if your child is suffering from some kind of a disorder or trauma, or if there's something else going on in the home that I'm not aware of. If there's more to the story, I don't know all of the answers. So I'm just going to tell you what I would do. You can take this information, you can use some of it, you can dismiss it, you can say, oh, that's so wrong. That's not what I would do. Fine. It is for entertainment purposes only. First question. Okay. Shalene, how would you handle it if your teenage daughter suddenly wants to dress inappropriately like many of her friends are wearing crop tops and booty shorts? Okay. First, I have to say, Crop tops are all the rage. Like, that's the style. I see, frankly, I see women my age wearing crop tops, and I feel like it's just, I don't know. I've just always kind of found it distracting. Okay, so let's set aside the fact that it is a style. Let's set aside, you know, the fact that maybe her school doesn't allow them to wear it. You know, there's like dress codes, et cetera, that you need to be considerate of. But let's just set aside the fact even that it's crop tops and booty shorts. Let's just talk about our kids wearing things that we might not agree with, whether it's like sagging their jeans. Is that still even a thing? I don't even think it is. I don't know. Or just something that you don't feel is appropriate, or maybe it's just a style that you don't like. I personally always believed with our kids that we wanted them to express themselves any way they wanted to with their clothing, as long as it wasn't offensive to other people. Like if they wanted to wear a t-shirt with a middle finger on it, like that wasn't going to fly. But if they wanted to dress in a way that I was like, that is so ugly in my mind. Of course, I would never say that. But like if I'm in my mind, I thought that is so unattractive or so ugly, or it's a style that, you know, kind of represents like a subculture that I don't agree with or something like that. I just let them do it. And we just always celebrated the fact that they wanted to have individuality. As long as it wasn't hurting anyone else, we embraced it. So that they knew from a very young age, you get to decide who you want to be and how you want to dress. Now, when it comes to girls and provocative clothing, here's how Brett and I handled that. We never once told Sierra like, oh, that's a little too short or that's too revealing, etc., because from a very young age, we started brainwashing both of our kids so that they had an idea of like how we viewed women or girls who dressed very provocatively. We would say things like, oh, isn't that a shame that like she needs all that attention for her body because like there's nothing else going on? Oh, man, that's kind of a bummer, huh? Or like when she became, it seems like it was like around 12 or 13 that we noticed not all of her friends, but like, you know, just some of the girls who she was acquaintances with. I followed every single one of their friends on social media, too. I was like a ninja mom. My kids, I had all their passwords. 
and all their account names, and I could log into their phones. They didn't know this. If they're listening now, they do. I didn't stalk them or invade their privacy unless I felt like there was something going on. But I sure did follow all of their friends and follow the conversations because like, you need to know when some of these kids, they look like they're really good kids, but you know, something else is going on online. They have what's called Finstas, which are fake Instagram accounts. And then they have their Instagram account that their mom knows about. Well, this mom knew about both those accounts. Anyways, some of the Finsta Insta accounts, they would post like these really, like they're 12 and 13 and just starting to develop. And they would post these incredibly sexual photos, you know, like dimly lit in a bikini, just you're like, really? And so what we would do is make commentary about them. We would say things like, oh, wow, I saw that photo that Lisa posted. That's such a bummer, you know, because you can really tell that like she just doesn't have confidence in who she is. She's just, you know, like the only thing that she thinks she has going on for her is that she's developed boobs. And it's like, it's sad, huh? You know what I mean? Like, so we would do that to kind of implant that idea in Sierra that she didn't need to do that. And we'd say things like, are you so glad that you've got like style and you're cool and you're funny? And like, those are the things that you can post about as opposed to like having to resort to like your boobs or like, you know, a butt shot. Like, ugh. It's sad. You know what I mean? And so we did a little bit of brainwashing. So we didn't have to have those conversations with her. And she never posted those kind of things ever. There was only one time ever. And I don't even remember what the photo was, but Sierra posted something that was just a little bit questionable, like not even in the realm of what I've just discussed, but like something that didn't seem like Sierra. And I saw it and Brett saw it and I thought, well, I'm not going to say anything. I think it would be more appropriate for her dad to say something and not to tell her to take it down. Because I think wherever you can, you want to empower your children to make the right decisions themselves. And so Brett, you know, went into her bedroom and sat down on the bed next door and just pulled up the photo and said, yeah, so hey, I saw this that you posted and I was just kind of curious, like what kind of message you think it sends. And she's like, I was already going to delete it. I'm deleting it. And he's like, you don't have to delete it. I'm just curious, like, what message are you trying to send? And she's like, it's just stupid. I'm deleting it. So that was the only time we ever dealt with that. And if you look at Sierra's stuff now, she's not that kid. She's got an amazing physique, but she has an amazing personality, amazing sense of style. She's one of the funniest people I've ever met. And she knows that. So she doesn't have to lead with her body. I personally believe that our responsibility as parents is to teach our kids how to make the right decisions, not to make them for them. I mean, except in the case where they could harm themselves or they're doing harm to themselves or others and you have to step in. We let our kids fail. We let them experience hardship and pain and we let them, you know, get the ramifications and the negative implications when they did make poor decisions. We didn't protect them from those things. We would ask questions so that they were informed and they were aware of the consequences. Like we might explain how wearing clothes like that might give people the wrong impression, but say, but it's your decision, provided, of course, you're within the dress code for school, et cetera. But just remember the impression that you're giving people and think about what is it you want attention for. So I personally would Think of this as maybe a phase. And rather than telling her what she can and can't wear, I would just have discussions and I would empower her to make the right decisions and to use her style to express herself, but also to remember 
that she has a lot more going on for her than her body. Next question. Okay, Shaleen. My 14-year-old claims that she's the only person in her whole school who does not have a phone. (laughs) That's funny. Her father and I have been trying to hold out. She has a laptop. She has an iPad. So she's able to communicate with her friends in that way. And we do let her spend some time on technology. I just don't know why she needs a phone. And I'm not sure at what age we should let her have one. Well, first of all, I mean, yeah, that's pretty crazy that you've been able to go that long without giving her a phone in today's day and age. I mean, I know it happens. My friend Monica, who's got triplets, her kids didn't get a phone until this year when they turned 15. And I think they were like the last 15 year olds on the planet to finally get a phone. But, you know, here's the reality of it. What are you trying to protect them from? If you're trying to shield them from social media and the things that they can see online, newsflash, they've already seen it. They've already seen it on their friends' phones. You're not sheltering them from any of those things. When they're at school, they're looking at their friends' phones. They're seeing everything that you don't want them to see. They're already seeing it. That sucks, I know. But that's just the reality of it. If they have an iPad, they have everything that you don't want them to have on a phone. They have access to the internet. They have access to apps. They have access to adult content. I mean, unless you're really putting in some safeguards, which there are lots of them you can place on your phones. But most people are not. And even if you are, that doesn't protect your children from seeing the things that are on their friends' phones and their friends' digital devices and on your laptops. And I mean, the internet's a scary place. I hate to think at what age my kids saw things just because there's an internet, right? Like we, and we really tried to do our best to monitor that and to be aware of what they were looking at and to have set up rules and policies. But We didn't helicopter parent them. And I I just knew that they're going to see things. And so we had those conversations. My question is, what is it you're trying to protect her from? That's number one. And number two is, what are you telling her about your trust, right? Like if that's the norm and she's already got an iPad and she's already got a desktop and she already has all these friends who have phones, are you trying to tell her you don't trust her? I mean, or is that the message you're sending her, I should say? And frankly, my thing was, I couldn't wait for my kids to have phones. I mean, I don't even remember what age we gave them phones. Back then, they were like, they weren't iPhones. They were like, I forget what we called them, but they weren't iPhones. So they couldn't go online and stuff, but we could figure out where they were. My thing was, I always wanted to have a a way to track them if they had been abducted. I wanted to make sure they had a way to call us if they were at a friend's house at a sleepover and they weren't comfortable or if they were ever in a situation where they wanted mom and dad to come and pick them up. Like That was really important to me. So I don't know what the right age is, but I would say it's probably different for every kid and We should trust our kids until they give us a reason not to, with a caveat, of course, knowing that they're not adults, so they're not equipped to make adult decisions, but it is our job to teach them how to make the right decisions and how to deal with the consequences and how to make informed decisions as opposed to making decisions for them. Next question. Our son is a very talented high school soccer player. He's had interest from many Division I colleges and his Club team coaches believe he could easily earn a scholarship. We have spent a fortune on private coaching, club teams, and his development as an athlete. Oh boy, can you hear the guilt already? I know it's coming. He has devoted his entire life to the sport, but recently he told us he doesn't know if he wants to keep playing. We were devastated. Oh, Lordy. 
<laughs> we want him to be happy, but we also want to teach him that life is about making sacrifices. And we think that he will regret it later if he quits now and never truly reaches his full potential as an athlete. How would you handle this? Well, darling, I would suggest that you go back and listen to the episode I did with my daughter, Sierra. In fact, I will put a link to it in our show notes. It was her decision to quit running track. So I think that's probably the right episode for you to listen to. Why? Because you won't just hear from me, you'll hear from Sierra and hear it from her perspective. And I think this is really important. Here's my summary, though. It sounds to me like, number one, this is really important to you and your husband, and I want to know why. Why does it matter that your son is a phenomenal soccer player? Can he just be a phenomenal kid, a phenomenal son? Does he have to play the sport? I know here in Southern California, if you are on a club team and you're playing soccer, like it's a full-time job. These kids, they don't get to enjoy just being a kid. They go to school and then they have to go to practice for hours and hours. Can you imagine? And then... They can misinterpret that as I don't get mom and dad's love and validation and acceptance unless I am this phenomenal athlete or fill in the blank. And it becomes their identity. And frankly, what happens after college? Even if he does go to play soccer in college, the likelihood that he's going to make a full-time living playing soccer after college is so minuscule. I should look up those statistics, but it is so remotely minuscule that you're actually doing him a great disservice. This is my opinion, and I'm getting up on a soapbox right now to all of you who think your son or daughter is going to be a professional fill-in-the-blank or a Division I athlete. That's great, provided you're teaching them balance and that those things are not going to serve them once they're done in terms of like, how do they balance a job? And what does it feel like to not exercise for four hours a day and to not have this identity that's attached to a sport because that is going to come to an end? Teach your children how to be resilient. Teach them how to network. Teach them how to balance a checkbook, how to clean a house, how to do their own laundry, how to cook, how to clean, how to be kind to others. And maybe you're doing all these things. But the most important thing we can teach them is that they are valuable without a label. So... I'd let them quit. And I would tell them, as long as you have something that you're interested in, it doesn't need to be athletics, it doesn't need to be soccer, but as long as there's something that you love, that's what makes us happy. We just want to know that you're something that you're passionate about, whatever that is, and we support that. Next, Shalim, I've got one for you. My girls are 11 months apart and they couldn't be more different. My Oldest is outgoing. She's a cheerleader. She's very fit and she's active. She is polite, a people pleaser. She's very pretty. She makes friends easily. She's very popular in high school and people are always commenting on her looks. Her younger sister, however, oh boy, even the word however has me cringing. <laughs> her younger sister, however, wasn't as lucky in the looks department. Oh my gosh. Ugh. Can you just even imagine if the younger daughter were to ever like see that her mom put that in a message? Ugh. She goes on to describe the younger daughter. She is a shy child and she has always struggled with her weight and confidence. I try to help her with her diet. Oh boy. And I encourage her to work out with me. Lovely. And it only seems to drive her away. 
She's a brilliant student and amazing in her own right, but she constantly compares herself to her older sister. And I think it's causing her to withdraw, gain more weight, and we're worried about her. Well, frankly, it sounds like, mom, you do a lot of comparison too. And it's hard, especially when we have two kids of the same sex. It's just a natural thing that people are going to compare like, oh, wow, this one has blonde hair and this one has brown hair. Well, this daughter's so much taller and this one's so much shorter. Like you just do. And frankly, I have a sister and that happened to us a lot. I didn't see it as a negative, but I suppose there were times, right? And parents just do labeling. I remember my parents labeling my sister as shy. They would literally say, oh, Janelle's the shy one and Shaleen's the outgoing one. And we live up to our labels, you know? So we have to be very careful what labels we're giving our children and how it may limit their potential or how they might rise to it, right? Like if you're calling one of your children the wild child and one of them the the people pleaser, like what is that saying? Like the labels we give our kids, they believe those things and they start to say those things to themselves. And she's already getting it from everybody, even people who don't mean ill will. They don't even realize the harm that they're doing by comparing these two sisters because they're just comparing them based on physical appearance. And that doesn't mean anything because those looks are going to go away. Your very active, fit, outgoing cheerleader daughter, she may also feel a lot of guilt and she might be feeling responsible for your younger daughter's lack of confidence and that may impact her later. The thing that I would tell you to do right away is to get into some family counseling because why? Nothing negative is going to come from it. It's a positive thing. And you can just, you know, start to go to therapy first And by the way, don't make this just something that's about your younger daughter, like both girls. You should just say, I just think this is a healthy part of being a teenager. And, you know, I want you guys to have someone to talk to. I wish I had that. So I've arranged to have you both speak with a counselor. Like think of it as life coach, because she really does need to hear it from other people that she doesn't have to live in her sister's shadow, that she is amazing of her own right. And her appearance has nothing to do with it. Please, if I may, I'd like to ask you not to mention her weight, her activities, her diet, or her exercise. Just spend a ton of time noticing everything that's unique and brilliant about her. That's it. And make sure it's balanced. Otherwise, it's going to feel really obvious. Make sure it's balanced. And sometimes we have to have off-the-record private conversations with family members. Like sometimes grandparents can be the worst. You know, they just, they're clueless. And brothers and well-meaning coaches, like it's okay to pull people aside and say, don't you dare ever mention to my daughter, fill in the blank. I used to do it. You know, I, I remember calling the track coach. I think Sierra was a sophomore. And I've mentioned this before where it came to my attention because I could see it, but suddenly all the girls on the track team were just like dropping weight like crazy. You could see anorexia and orthorexia taking hold of this team. And, you know, rather than gossiping about it or wondering, I went right to the coach, called him up and said, all right, here's the deal. I've heard a few comments from girls on the team about comments well-meaning male coaches have made about their physiques and how much faster they can run when they're lighter, et cetera. And let me just tell you, as someone who works in this industry and has some expertise, what a damaging impact this is going to have on these young women. And I think you need to have someone 
address the fact that there is an eating disorder that is it's contagious right now. This is a group of very easily influenced, persuaded young women. They're very impressionable. You know, it's a problem. And the coach was incredibly receptive. He was, you know, a younger guy. He was incredibly receptive and he was working with an eating disorder specialist at the time. I believe they may have brought somebody in, but I also had those conversations with Brock when Brock was, you know, probably like 15, which would have made Sierra like 12. But all his life, we would say to him, your sister's confidence is going to be a reflection of all of us. Like we support each other and we love each other and we're all going to lift each other up. And especially because girls are different, you are never, ever to comment on any part of her body ever, good or bad. Whether you're fighting or teasing or joking, it doesn't matter. That is a never. And he understood. Even as a young boy, he would like nod and say, you know, and same was true for Brett. I had to, because he didn't have sisters, but I did. You know, my parents were really, really good about it. So I had to, you know, explain that to Brett. Like, okay, so like, you know, I know like football guys, they joke about like people's weight and strong thighs and big guy, blah, blah, blah. Girls, they get enough negative messaging that in this home, that will not happen. So it's okay to have those conversations because they're very damaging. One little meaningless, sarcastic, joking, teasing, prodding, poking comment. One nickname can stay with a woman for the rest of her life. And that's sad. So it's okay to step in and let people know, like, we are going to acknowledge everything that's great about our children. We're going to celebrate their uniqueness. We're going to let them be who they were meant to be. We aren't going to try to shape them into little versions of what we wish we were. I think so many parents do that. Like they feel maybe you have your own regrets that you were heavier in high school. Maybe you had your own regrets that you weren't the star of the track team. Maybe you have your own regrets that you dressed inappropriately in high school and people, you know, called you derogatory words or names behind your back. Or maybe you were promiscuous. I don't know. But I think too often we put our own baggage on our kids and we try to get right what didn't go well for us or that which we wish we could do over again. But they are their own people. They're completely different from you. Your children are a reflection of the love that you have for them. They're not a reflection of whether you're a good person or not. If your child makes the cheer squad as the cheer captain, that doesn't make you a better mom than a mom whose daughter wants to stay in her room and make digital art or read books. Like that doesn't make you a better mom. That doesn't make society see you as better that your daughter is the debutante or your son is the quarterback or your son wants to be homeschooled and play guitar. Like those things are not a reflection of who you are. But the way that your child treats others and the way that your child views themselves is a reflection of how they see themselves in your eyes. So I've saved the, gosh, the most serious one, I think, for last. Shalene, our 16-year-old daughter, is extremely disrespectful to myself and my wife, but especially to my wife. She screams at both of us at the top of her lungs, and she shouts the most disgusting profanities at my wife when she's angry. She slams doors, she says she hates us, and that we disgust her. When I talk to her friend's parents, 
They tell me that our daughter is lovely, that she's polite and respectful and well-mannered when she's with them. So please tell us, what are we doing wrong? Now, there could be a lot of things going on in this household. It could be that your daughter's incredibly angry and anger usually masks sadness. So there might be something she's incredibly sad about. Maybe she's experienced a trauma. Maybe there's trauma in your home. I don't know. Maybe this is something she's just mirroring what she sees. I don't know if you and your wife, when you fight, if you scream and yell and use profanities. We never yelled in our home. Never. Because we didn't need to. Didn't need to resort to that. There was never yelling. Our kids never yelled and we didn't yell. Yeah, there's a couple times I raised my voice, but it's pretty rare. Pretty rare. And that is because it starts with respect. And respect means that you can communicate calmly. If you can't communicate calmly, then you need to take a time out until you can. And parents, I'm specifically talking to you. So my first guess is that, like she's learned it from somewhere. And to some degree, it must be working for her or she still wouldn't be doing it. Even though it creates a lot of drama and a lot of attention and anguish and tension and it's very upsetting in some way. It must be serving her or she wouldn't continue to do this. So maybe she's doing it to get your attention. Maybe she ultimately gets her way. Like, do you give in? There's like all these questions that I have. I don't know. But it reminds me very much of a girl I knew in high school who was very much like this. Just a really great kid. Sweet, smart, polite, intelligent, well-meaning. But at home... It was like this. It was really volatile. I just remember the first time going over to her house, her calling her mom an F and B, not just using profanity around her parents, like specifically saying and calling both of her parents these horrible words and names and slamming doors and they were screaming and yelling. You know, of course, I didn't realize it at the time because I was in high school, but I can tell you this. Her mom was a major alcoholic. and. That's hard on kids. You can try to hide it. It didn't come out until we were long out of high school, but she knew. Your kids know if you have a drinking problem. They know, and they're going to be angry. And dad, dad had his own issues, but dad was kind of like, frankly, enabling it. So he would get the kids to all their practices, and he was kind of like, you know, he worked full time. So he was like the working dad and the mom so that he could make up for the things that his wife wasn't doing, who was just like always drinking, right? And the whole family pretended like this wasn't going on, but dad was enabling this and dad had a lot of anger towards mom too. And so they would fight. And when they fought, it was like this. It was like screaming, yelling matches. And so I think also when mom would drink, she would scream and yell. So there was a lot of this happening already in the home. And so it just, it was normal. And they wanted peace. And maybe both parents felt guilty that they knew things were this way in the home. So if there was enough fighting and screaming, yelling, eventually my friend would get grounded. But eventually they wanted her to be happy and they wanted to please her. So they would, you know, let her off the hook. Like, you know, if she stomped around and complained enough, they would unground her. I forget, what do you guys call it now? Restriction? You're on restriction? Well, back then we used to call it being grounded. So 
if she made a big enough stink about it, they never followed through. So she would be grounded for like a day and then they would let her have whatever she wanted. She was the kid whose parents would throw drinking parties, which is so ridiculous, right? So she would (laughs) talk about a legacy. And I haven't seen this girl since high school, so I don't know how things have turned out, but I can't imagine well. But it was at her house where, you know, they would have these parties and the parents would say, well, we're in charge of everybody's keys, like throwing parties for teenagers and buying the alcohol and justifying it. I mean, now as an adult, I know how ridiculous this is, but they would justify it like, well, we're in charge of everybody's keys, so we'll make sure that nobody's drinking and driving. Oh, please. That is so ridiculous. So they were enabling these kinds of behaviors and they were role modeling them. And you can't have the respect of your children if you don't respect yourself. Respect is mutual. I respected my children. My parents respected me. They listened to what I had to say and they would explain consequences to me. And instead of making decisions for me, they would ask me what things I was considering when making a decision. And I try to do that with my own children. And I should say, Brett and I, I forgot, there was two of us doing this together. I cannot take credit. My husband is the world's greatest dad, legit. And we really thought about it. We read parenting books. Today, I still read parenting books and I listen to parenting podcasts. Don't ask me why, but like this week, I bought a parenting book about elementary age children. And I don't have elementary age children. I just still find it very interesting. It's still something that I enjoy thinking about and being good at and trying to improve. And I guess once you're a parent, you'll always be a parent, even though my children are grown now, they're 19 and 22, but this is something you can improve. And so much of what we do as parents is the result of what we were role modeled. And frankly, it's not always great. You can be better than that which you were raised in. You can do better than that. Parenting is a skill, which means you can get coached. You can get therapy. You can change your mindset. You can change your habits. You can change your communication style. You can learn to be a better parent. And one of the best ways to do that is through counseling, through services that are specifically devoted to helping families come together. There are people who specifically teach you how to be a better parent. I just can't think of anything that's more important. It's crazy the amount of money that people spend on their bodies the amount of money that people will spend on vacations and remodeling their home and new clothes, but they haven't even spent $20 on a parenting book. They haven't even listened to one parenting podcast. Like, is there anything more important than your responsibility as a parent? I don't think that there is. It's insane to me that people will They'll go to conferences and they'll network and they'll learn how to build an email list and they'll try to start a podcast and they'll spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours doing these things that stroke their ego that they think is going to make them happy. But ultimately, I've done all those things. And you know what makes me the happiest, which just fills me up with pride, is that my children are confident in who they are, that they can take care of themselves, that they're kind to others, that they make good decisions without me, that they believe in themselves, that they know how to provide for themselves, that they make good decisions without having to consult me, that they know how to get themselves out of trouble. They know how to write emails. They know how to talk to people. They know how to deal with hard times. Like They are responsible, well-liked, well-adjusted adults. 
And that takes a lot of sacrifice and a lot of work and a lot of mistakes. Brett and I made a, a ton of mistakes, you guys. I just do not even want you to think that's not the case. Like we messed up a ton, but we always apologized and we always worked together, Brett and I both to hold each other accountable, to get on the same page, to have gentle conversations with each other with the right timing so that one never felt attacked by the other so that we knew we were on the same team. And it was Team Johnson. And Team Johnson, how do we win this game? We win this game by letting our kids know, helping them to believe in themselves. We win by helping our children to be who they were meant to be and to be happy. And nothing is more upsetting than when your children are upset. And nothing brings you more happiness than knowing your kids are okay. They're going to be okay. You're doing your best. And you're going to get a little better every single day. And it's not too late. I believe in you as a parent. It's a big job. It's a scary job. It's confusing. It's hard. It's thankless. But it is so, so rewarding. By the way, if you are looking for recommendations on parenting podcasts, some of my favorite books, and maybe even some courses, we'll start that discussion inside the pod squad. So join us. Join us over there. That's where we'll be talking about these things. The link is, of course, below this episode. It's a free Facebook group, and we invite you to join us. My name is pronounced Shah, as in shut the door. Shaleen. Shaleen. It's the Shaleen Show, not the Shaleen Show. The Shaleen Show. All right, that was your hint. I'll see you inside the pod squad. I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon. Hi, this is Brooke Powers, Vice President at Smart Life. And I wanted to tell you about one of my favorite products that we have. It's our push journal. And we created the push journal because we know that you want to be making progress towards your goals. And in order to do that, you need a better system to hold yourself accountable. The problem is you've tried countless planners and journals and nothing seems to stick, let alone be effective, which I'm sure can make you feel defeated. We believe it shouldn't be a burden to keep track of your productivity and hit your goals. We understand that motivation, organization, and sticking to a routine can be a struggle. We've motivated and helped thousands of people to identify and set goals and stay focused on daily tasks that increase productivity that actually help you hit your goals. Does this sound like you? This is all you need to do. Go to pushjournal.com and order your push journal set. While you're waiting for your journals, Download the instruction booklet at pushjournal.com to get an early start on setting your push goal and to get a little taste of how the system works. Stop wasting money on goal-setting journals or programs that don't stick long-term. Instead, find confidence in using a push journal for life. Trust me, you'll be addicted just like me. 